0: Comedian Leslie Jones is giving us life through this pandemic, whether it's through her Twitter feed, her running commentaries of TV and news programs, or her Rate My Room segments. We'll talk more about those later. Here she is with MSNBC's Nicole Wallace. You gotta choose joy. You gotta choose it, Nikki. You gotta choose joy. This is a time right now where we can't just you know, go all willy-nilly with our feelings. We have to choose to be happy. We have to choose to help other people be happy. That's our mission. This, if COVID has taught us anything, it needs to teach us to take care of each other and show us how to do that. This is Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we talk about the various ways we found joy in 2020. Later in the show, we'll talk about disrupting the monotony of pandemic life by incorporating more play. But first, when life shut down back in March, many people turned to the internet to cure their boredom. Students, grandparents, and families got more creative and found ways to express themselves online. Rebecca Jennings is a reporter with Vox, covering internet culture. She joins us now to talk about the best, most joyful moments of 2020. She starts by explaining the phenomenon that is TikTok.
2: Oh man, what isn't TikTok? TikTok is what I like to describe it as is like the most enticing and addictive and time-sucking social media app that has ever existed. Um, it's, It's basically a series of videos that immediately pop up on your screen as soon as you open the app. And as you keep scrolling, the algorithm learns more and more about what you like. And so eventually what you get when you open it is just a series of videos that you can't stop watching. And like you you like them and you comment on them and you can save them. And as you do all these things, the TikTok algorithm is like, okay, I'm going to serve you more of these things. And so basically you open it and then five hours goes by and you've watched a billion videos and you're like, wait, why is it dinner time already?
0: So this idea that the algorithm can curate an experience for you and be able to see your trends may give some people pause of, you know, I don't want them to have all this info about me. But for others, it's a way of sort of feeding that interest and feeding that joy that they want to experience. What stands out for you this year when it comes to TikTok?
2: Oh my gosh, it really was the year of TikTok. And I feel like so many of the most like heartwarming cultural moments that happened this year, you know, in In contrast to all of the horrible things that happened this year happened on TikTok um because it really is that platform where you know you can be a regular person one night and then make a video go super viral and then the next day everybody knows your name. I think the biggest um example of that was the guy who filmed himself drinking an ocean spray cranberry on a skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac's dreams and within a few days that song was on like the, the hot 100 charts. Um, it was so influential. It made, it single-handedly make made Fleetwood Mac like recreate the same video on TikTok. And it was a huge cultural moment. And this guy, I mean, he was, he he had some job at a factory somewhere and now he's a household name. So I think that's a very like cute thing that happened.
0: But for me, at least, one of the things that's exciting about those social media platforms is that it breaks down some of the barriers that we see between quote unquote celebrities and everyday people. So you can be this man who just loves skating and loves where he is and clearly has a penchant for cranberry juice, who then is able to get the attention of this corporation and still enjoy what's happening. But TikTok is also connected to these other social media platforms like Instagram and others that we see people having these experiences. So if there are people listening who you know, want to tap into some of these trends or at least find out what it is that everyone's talking about, give us a couple of moments from this year that stood out to you across those accounts and across those platforms.
2: Yeah, I think for me, one of my favorite moments on TikTok was when, you know, when the lockdown first started to happen and we saw all these families kind of said it, like maybe kids were coming home from college, parents were working from home, everybody was in the house again together. And, you know, in, in that, you know, it can be really difficult. But at the same time on TikTok, we saw all these families hopping on these dance trends that were going viral on the app, like the blinding lights challenge. Um uh, about the weekend song. I think that was a really big moment where you saw, you know, multiple generations dancing together in this very cute way. Another one um, was cottagecore, which is this like subculture and also this aesthetic that kind of romanticizes this very slow homemade lifestyle where, you know, what you you listen to really cute music. You listen to Taylor Swift's folklore. You are embroidering something for your wall you are baking cookies, um, this, this very, it's this fetishization of this very romantic kind of adorable little life. And it's funny because this, um, this proliferated on a, on a super technology focused platform. So it's this kind of like ironic division between this very handmade aesthetic and this very new platform that we've never seen before.
0: You mentioned the the multi-generational aspect of this. And for me, that's what's been the appeal. So I can watch Tabitha Brown, who is this vegan chef, with my mother and my sisters, and think about the sort of lifestyle change that she's talking about, and it seems relatable and not intimidating and not judgmental. But then I can also talk about Among Us with my preteen, or watch four generations of a family dancing to Megan the Stallion, from the little kid to the grandparent who's in a wheelchair. And there's this sense of connection that binds families together in a way that I think this year has been about slow down, take stock of what's important, and figure out how you talk to people that you've spent the other years not having to really be in close contact with. Do you think that's something that will continue once outside reopens and, and we can move about more freely? Do you think this has changed something?
2: I hope so. And I think what has changed a lot is that maybe people who weren't as interested in social media or certain kinds of technology, say, for instance, the, the video game Animal Crossing, I think this brought a lot of people into the, like the really the huge world of video games. And I think that those kind of things are going to stick around. I think now maybe when you explain to your dad what's going on on TikTok, he'll know because he was with you in those first few months of quarantine, learning the TikTok dances. And I think this kind of levels the playing field for who is on social media, who cares about internet trends and who is exposed to the joy that can come from these things.
0: So let's talk about the joy that I experience when it comes to these things. And that is this new trend of rate my room. But for me, what's even more joyful and fun is listening to Leslie Jones, the comedian, sort of dub some of these room rates. And so she's watching very serious news coverage and pointing out things that may go unnoticed. She even recently raided the room of the governor of Connecticut. That painting look like Harlem, don't it? Am I tripping? Am I tripping? Am I looking at the wrong thing? Is that first ad? That look like first ad, maybe. And them glass, them glass vases. I was gonna say vases, but I've, I've, I've extended my vocabulary, vases. Those glass vases are fleek talk to us about this trend of of room rating and how it may shape the setup that some of us have as we are perpetually within these Zoom meetings and Zoom conferences.
2: Yeah, I think it's such a good example of how creative people can be because, you know, we're in this time when everybody's kind of experiencing life through the same screen. And that's just goes to show like, how much joy you can get out of something, even if it's like the most boring thing imaginable. Some governor talking to you on Zoom is not the most visually interesting thing, but when you have someone like Leslie Jones, who's hilarious, talking to you about everything that's going on behind the governor, it's it's hilarious. And it's sort of absurd and, you know, it, it, it provides something to laugh at when we all each really need a good laugh. <laughs>
0: I think it also promotes that sort of levity and balance that everything feels so heavy. Something like that also encourages us collectively but also individually to take a step back and think about it. And part of your job as a reporter covering the internet culture beat is to take a step back and and think holistically what all of this means. So as we think about rounding out this year, going into 2021, what is it, Rebecca, that you are looking for or that you think we need to think about?
2: I think one of the things that I've been thinking about this year so much is that so much of what we see on the internet is is not only just bad straight news. Is people you know embarrassing themselves online or something kind of scandalous or whatnot? But I think what what TikTok and and social media during quarantine has kind of done is elevate these normal people that we can all kind of relate to, but they're are specific individuals that are that feel like real people and they've completely gone super viral. I think one good example is, is, as you mentioned, Tabitha Brown, who, she's an actress, She's she's happens to be a very good vegan chef, and she was just making videos of herself cooking in her kitchen, and now, like, everybody knows who she is, and she has profiles written about her in the New York Times, and she's this very, very kind woman who you know she's not going viral for being a teenager doing a dance. She's she's you know a grown woman and she has something to say and I think that that's really really heartwarming and inspiring for the next generation of internet stars.
0: Thanks to Rebecca Jennings of Vox who covers internet culture. We'll have some links to all of that viral goodness on our website at ctpublic.org/disrupted. Coming up, we'll talk about joy as an act of resistance for Black communities. This is Disrupted. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome
0: back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we're talking about finding joy in what has been a very challenging year. And for Black communities in particular, who are fighting higher rates of COVID-19, confronting systemic racism and police violence, finding joy can be more complicated. David Dennis Jr. is a writer and adjunct professor of journalism at Morehouse College. He recently wrote an article called The Defiance of Black Joy in an Especially Anti-Black Year. Sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. David joined us to talk about finding joy this year and the value of sharing that joy online.
3: You know, there was an old joke on Twitter and social media that like Black folks would like live tweet the apocalypse if we had to, you know, because, you know, I mean, I think that you look at the history of Black people surviving in this country, right? It's, we have to make our way through trauma, right? Um, And this year has been Probably as bad or, or worse as any year that I can think of, and you know we still have found these spaces, these little pockets of joy, whether it be, you know, verses or you know the TV shows that we watch or the podcasts that we listen to, um, whether it's just simply, you know, whatever sort of viral trend we have going on, whether it's a boss of headline that we that we like laughing at, um, or if we're you know um, You know, streaming something or binge watching a show. We're going back and watching, um, you know, Moesha or whatever Netflix is putting up like we are finding this time and this space to find and discover and excavate joy from places where joy we don't think it, it should be.
0: What I think is so powerful about that is the communal nature, but also the multi-generational nature of that. You know, you mentioned Moesha. I grew up watching that show with my sisters and now I can watch it with my daughter and see things through her eyes and, and how different life is for her now but you can also see people in those shows like a Kobe Bryant. And given his passing this year, you remember what it took for him as a young man to be able to achieve in all these different spaces. Do you feel like social media and culture can be this tie to connect across generations? Or do you think it's the fact that so many of us are stuck at home with little else to do that they're saying, okay, let's watch this together.
3: Yeah, I think it's I mean, you know, we are forced to spend time with the folks in our houses more than we than we had previously. And I say forced to because like as much as you may love somebody like you're going to have to find new ways to entertain each other. Right. So, you know, yeah. So we're watching, you know, mothers and daughters are watching girlfriends together or, you know, families are watching Moesha or even, you know, you, you know, you are watching Jingle Jangle, which is new, but it is a generational, you know, sort of cross generations. And then also, I think that, you know, we are, fi- we are having to find ways to connect with other generations via our Zoom calls. And, yeah. you know, like we have a family Zoom call every Sunday. Um, and, you know, we don't just necessarily just talk. We're finding things to talk about. We're thinking about connecting in different ways that, you know, we may not have necessarily been able to um in the past like there you know there's been a slowing down a little bit of life which is a you know is a blessing within the curse because a lot of the reasons we're slowing down are are, are not you know good reasons they're you know sometimes they're in tragedy sometimes a loss of job loss of life things like that but the slowing down is something that we don't get to do often as black folks we have to serve, we, you know so much of our daily life is surviving and finding ways to um, go through our day to day day to day. So slowing down, allowing us to share, allowing us to talk, allowing us to really get to know each other and using the social media and the videos and the movies and things like that to do that, I think has been has been, you know, tremendous.
0: One of the things that we talk about on this show is the idea that now that there have been so many disruptions in our lives and so many of the things that we took for granted have been disrupted, that there is the possibility of good things coming out of that. And as you said, the changes. So to think about reclaiming the Sunday dinner experience in a virtual format is something that is unique that many people hope will continue but it also means that now we are living out some of these personal experiences and personal connections in a very open online format. What's the risk in that? What is the risk of having these communal spaces for Black people so open to the rest of the world?
3: Yeah. So one of the things that's, that's tough about that is that, um, you know, it, sometimes you want to be private. You know, sometimes there's just a desire, like these are emotional moments, right? Like these are, um, you know, even, you know, last night I was, you know, experiencing sort of this emotional reaction to the idea that we weren't going to get T'Challa in, in movies more, you know, like I had taken time and mourned Chadwick Bozeman, but I hadn't taken the time to mourn T'Challa. Right. And so, I was experiencing this, but like I was going through a sort of in this social media space where you have to think about who's watching. Right. But then also there's the risk of, you know, when you are in these black spaces, you want to share these black moments that people who may not understand um, are not part of the culture or who want to cover the culture, want to you know, who, who utilize the capital that Black culture brings are going to want to be in those spaces too, especially like when you think about something like Versus, right? When you have, um, you know, some of the, you know, like when you have a Teddy Riley or a Patti LaBelle or people like that who speak, you know, to the Black experience and, and but Versus is a crossover event, right? And so you may have white publications or journalists or people who are trying to understand or want an explainer on what exactly we are experiencing or what we're loving on right now? When sometimes we don't have the capacity to do that or the desire to do that, like we just want to feel these things with other people who experience it with us. But you know, sometimes, but it's hard to do that in 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 public spaces without having to shoo away folks who don't necessarily want to be there.
0: And there's something about that gaze that can sort of disrupt the moment that you want to just be in the moment without having to explain that we can appreciate Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle, that it can be a win for the culture to see DMX being able to perform after he's overcome so much without having to explain the why. And, you know, you and I are both familiar with the cultural vernacular of the proverbial invitation to the cookout. Right. You right. can't invite everyone to the cookout, right? That there has to be this sacred closed space, but still understanding, as you mentioned, that now it's more public and people navigate through that. Let me give you an example and, and get your thought on this. I tweeted about the new mayor of Baltimore the other day, Brandon Scott, who had released his official photo in this magnificent Afro with a edge up that I have not seen that crisp since before the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people replied to me, well, what's the big deal? It's just a haircut. But it's because in this year, we have something called the Crown Act to prevent discrimination against people based on their hair. High school kids in Texas being threatened with not being able to graduate because of their hair. So something as simple as hair and a hairstyle can be about the joy and freedom that I think you write about, or am I just making a big deal out of nothing here?
3: No, no, no. I mean, I think that's. I mean, look. I mean, you can see me. though, you know that I have obviously not gotten a haircut since the pandemic, and it's been, you know, like there is there is this moment when you get your hair done, right? Like the you know we we talk we joke about like the seventy two hours invincibility when you go to the barbershop and get a haircut, right? And so, you know, I you know. Just similar to that is like earlier in in the year, we were all amazed at Jalen Rose's hairline and like how his, you know, cut has been immaculate during this whole time. And there is that like space of celebrating that in a way that like we understand. Right. And then you have to. And then when you do it publicly, people are going to jump in and want to understand what's going on. And it's not necessarily. Uh, we don't have the the capacity for the labor to do that explaining, right? And it's not necessarily that we want to be, um, you know, exclusive. It's just we want to enjoy something without doing labor, right? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all of it. Is. Mm-hmm. And so in order for us to explain or to invite you or to make that space palatable for you, we have to do a certain level of work that we would not have to do if we were just by ourselves in our house joking about, this mayor or, or Jalen Rose or, or, you know, lineups or who's, how are we keeping our hair and nails and everything together during this time?
0: That I think is the connection between joy as an act of defiance and an act of resistance, but also an affirmation of freedom. There's this sort of rite of passage of what it means to go to a barbershop or a hair salon for the first time to, as a kid, listen in on those adult conversations that are happening in that communal space that maybe you shouldn't listen to, but you feel connected to because when you grow up, you too feel like you'll be sitting in that chair and having that conversation within community. You know, we started the show talking about these sort of viral social media moments, and I know from following you on Twitter that you are. A fan of an account called No Context Doctor
3: Umar. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tell our listeners about that account and why it appeals to you so much.
3: Okay, so Doctor, so Doctor Umar Johnson is—I um, don't even know how to explain who he is. Like <laughs> he's so just he this is, guy
0: who's everywhere,
3: right? Yeah, he's everywhere. He's like a a, a faux philosopher type of guy. Um, who, you know, in the vernacular, we call him like a hotep type of person. Um, and he does these Instagram videos. He does these rants. You know, he's been on Breakfast Club. He's been on like these these places sort of, you know, espousing like this idea of like Black liberation that um, is not always the most thought out. It's definitely couched in um, toxic masculinity. And... You know, is not something that a lot of us necessarily take seriously, but he does have a, 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 an audience. Right. He does have an audience, but there's an, an account that just takes his rants out of context, like in these 10 second clips. And, you know, like, for instance, there's a, there's one that I love where he just caught. He's like, you know, this is a black black only um, streaming account or something like that, where it's like, you know, so he just takes these things and just and, and they're just like little nuggets of hilarity and i just follow this account and i i just watch the videos and you can take them out of context and apply any sort of you know situation to it and it just it just makes me happy <laughs> it just makes me happy i check it in the morning um and i think that's what we've had to do we've had to like hold on tighter to the things and and recognize the things that make us happy uh, when we have previously you know taken them for granted you know i think and so now we just hold on tight and 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 do that and i i love that account like it is one of my favorite things on the internet
0: i think David about this election that we've just come through we, we still have some you know races that are open but how divided the country felt and for me to see this video of people in philadelphia who had been waiting in long lines for hours, show up and say, in the face of the ridiculous nature of you trying to deny my ability to vote, not only will I be here and stay here, but I'm going to dance with my community, we're going to have music, we're going to have joy, and we're going to attack this process that has tried to deny us. And one of the things that you write is it all sticks to our joy like seaweed. There's never a moment when we're free from the architects of our despair and destruction. And I think David, that's the resistance of that joy that even in the face of that, people claim for themselves, the things that simply make them happy and help them get through to the next thing. Why then do you think joy is so complicated for Black communities? Why do people feel like they need to apologize for these moments when they've been able to claim happiness and joy amid all that's circling around them?
3: Yeah, I think it's it's hard to think about joy when we're surrounded by so many reasons not to be joyful you know like I I think about when you say that I think about like when people especially black folks have been doing a lot this these last few months like when they get good news right and are saying you know I know I'm, I'm sorry you know I know this is a bad time or it feels weird saying this but this you know I got a book deal or I got a new job or I got this and it's like no like don't feel that way you know don't feel like it should be something to be ashamed of because like your joy is like our joy. Like we, this is a communal joy that like we are sharing together and we're happy for you. And when, when something good happens to you, it, it feels good for all of us. And I think that, you know, this year it has felt like every bit of joy has been in spite of something, you know, more pronounced than, than, than I can think of, like it's been in spite of a pandemic or Trump or, you know, the George Florida, Breonna Taylor, it's been in spite of something. It always feels like sometimes it's pushing against something. Right. And, you know, sometimes joy is just joy. You know, like the freedom to just enjoy something without having to push against something is, is a freedom that even that brings about more joy. Right. And You know, sometimes like we get we get lost in that joy and we're not thinking about who we're pushing up against. Right. We're not thinking about, oh, I'm happy in spite of a pandemic. I'm happy even though Trump is tweeting right now or I'm happy even though, you know, whatever's happening on the news or I lost a job or things like that. Like to be so um, engulfed in your joy that you are only thinking about that good thing is like. Almost beyond resistance, right? It's like in this in this level of um, nirvana that pushes you past the idea of what you're fighting against, and that in itself is like almost the like the pinnacle of that that joyful moment when you have pushed past resistance, and now you are in this space of just pure unadulterated like black happiness.
0: <laughs> so it's that right to just be.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. To just
0: be whatever that feels like, whatever that needs to be having that existence. So I have to ask, David, what is it that brings you joy in these moments?
3: Um, well, let's see. What brings me joy right now is like just closing my computer <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just having the time to just spend with my family and just watching meaningless stuff. Like, I found myself during um, this pandemic watching, like, regular TV, like, watching commercial breaks, watching movies that come on TV. It just takes me to this, like, place of the past, of this childhood place where I'm I'm just... I don't choose what I watch. I'm just watching what's available, right? Um, You know, joy is you know, hanging out with my kids, you know, hanging out with my wife, like being, my my son is virtual learning and I'm sitting at my desk right now, like his desk, his, he's, we share a desk during the day, you know, and just trying to think about, you know, what could be going on right now and what is actually happening in in life right now. And that's the joy. Like, these are the things that that are bringing me joy.
0: David Dennis, Jr. is a writer and adjunct professor of journalism at Morehouse College. He's author of The Defiance of Black Joy in an Especially Anti-Black Year. David, thank you so much for joining us.
3: All right. Thank you for having me.
0: Coming up, we find out how to incorporate more play to disrupt the monotony of pandemic life. This is Disrupted. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we're talking about finding joy in 2020. Our next guest, Ian Bogost, has thought a lot about the idea of play. He wrote a book in 2016 about how to incorporate play into our daily lives to bring more joy and meaning. It's especially relevant now as many of us feel our days are more monotonous. Bogost is a contributing writer at The Atlantic, the Ivan Allen College Distinguished Chair in Media Studies, and Professor of Interactive Computing at the Georgia Institute of Technology. He's also author of Play Anything, The Pleasure of Limits, The Use of Boredom, and The Secret of Games. We asked him first to define play.
1: Uh, Play, let's start with what play isn't and what people think play is often, uh, usually if you ask someone, well, what, you know, what is, what is play all about? They often will say it's, it's like the opposite of, of work. You know, there's work and there's play. There's the stuff I have to do and the stuff I get to do. And that's where play lives in most people's heads. Um, they may think of it as, uh, as a distraction, as unserious, as a thing that you do when you have time and resources to do it uh, as a diversion, as an indulgence, uh, even, And uh, the problem with that is that if you only see play as something you can do once you get through the stuff you have to do, then you end up waiting forever uh, for the good stuff. So for me, instead of seeing play as uh, this thing you do when you're done working, uh, I see it as attention. Uh, It's like a deep, respectful, serious, almost even foolish attention uh, about the Limits and constraints of a situation that you find yourself in. So that's a little abstract Uh, Let me try to make it more concrete Think about things that you play Games, instruments Uh, When you play soccer or when you play the guitar You're not doing anything you want, which is one of the ways that we sometimes think about play you're working within some very particular constraints uh, and limitations, and some of those are invented. Uh, like, let's play a game where you can kick a ball around and do a goal, but you can't use your hands or, or your arms. And some of them are a consequence of the physical materials uh, with which you're working. Uh, so when you play guitar, you, you hold the, the, the apparatus in a certain way, and, and you, you strum the, the, the strings while holding the frets, and that's what produces uh, music. Uh, So uh, play is working within constraints of any kind. And that's why I think this idea is particularly relevant today as we feel like we have more and more and more constraints and limitations all around us and they feel oppressive and overwhelming and we don't know what to do and we wish we could just get back to normal. But there kind of is no back to normal to get to ever. It's it's just that we're always working within the circumstances we find ourselves in and we have to determine how we can make the best of them and, and even delight in them.
0: One of the things that the year has certainly revealed, as you mentioned, are the enormity of the rules, the ways in which those structures matter, the limits of the things that we can control, but also the abundance of the things that we can control and that we yeah. can shape and determine that meaning. A lot of people think of play as something for kids and something yeah, that right. young people... But your work says that it's important for everyone. It's not beholden or restricted based on age. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's we we look to children uh, because they they have a they, they have good guidance to offer. They're not uh kind of beaten down uh, by by life yet, and so they do things in a way that is that looks like it's unconstrained, but really it's just uh, very wise. So, you know, children's play, if you if you look at the way that kids play together or on their own, Kind of naturally picks this up you know you'll see kids say oh let's play a game and they don't even know what that means uh, we're going to invent the rules as we go then we're going to reinvent them and we know this stick is actually a sword no this box is is really a fort and that willingness to look at the world and see it in different ways uh, not to think that you've already seen everything that there's nothing left uh, that's something of course when you're young you haven't seen much and so that's a little bit more natural so I think a lot of the things that we can learn from kids is about acceptance. It doesn't mean you have to like it. and it doesn't even mean you have to um, you have to contend that the current situation can't be changed, but an acceptance of of the circumstances that you're in, the real reality uh, of the present. And then you got to figure out kind of what to, what to do with it, you know. So you mentioned like all the rules that we have uh, around us and our, and our temptation as, as adults in the world today, is to reject th- those rules, especially when they feel uh, like tensions with with our desires. Uh, I don't want to go out and wear masks in, in public. I don't want to work from home. I want I don't want to eat it you know at, at home or, or take out anymore. I want to do the things that I was accustomed to doing before uh, the pandemic, and that I feel that I deserve to do maybe. Uh, but the playful approach is actually to accept uh, those constraints and to ask, well, "What would life be like?" Uh, if I worked with within them, there's a kind of counterintuitive. Um, there's a counterintuitive, almost like a, a paradox in, in play where you think that what you want is to be able to do anything. But the moment that you have those choices, it's oppressive and you can't choose between them. And then a play sort of arises when you start adding limits around it. Go back to the, the soccer example you just go out to the park it's like well what should we do i don't really know you bring a ball and suddenly you have structure you have a pitch and suddenly you have more structure you have the rules of soccer and suddenly you have even, now you can do something and that applies to work life that applies to relationships that applies to getting through uh the, the complexities of this uh, uh of this year and, and the one uh to come but it it demands a kind of serious uh, acceptance of uh, uh and attention to the circumstances in which we find ourselves
0: Well, let's talk about that acceptance and that attention, because for a lot of us, our lives feel very monotonous right now. We wake up in one room, we go to another room for work or for school, or we carve out a corner in a room, and it seems that there is this routine that we follow with not a lot of opportunity to really change that. But what you say is that we can incorporate play into those everyday routines and be able to then define and redefine that experience. What are some concrete ways that people can incorporate play into their everyday lives?
1: Yeah, one of the weird things about repetition is that it feels like it's boring. We've already seen everything before. Uh, But actually, repetition is the way that we derive deep meaning and and expertise uh, from things. So if, if you want to become a good piano player or something, then you don't do it once. You do it over and over and over and over again. And as you do that more, you become better and better at it. And you understand the situation and the circumstances the materials of that, of that instrument better. And the same is true of anything you do in your life, your, your relationships with your family, and, and so on. So that, that's, that's sort of the first attitude to adopt. Uh, and, and in order to do that, you have to overcome the absurdity of the situation. Like If you step back from anything whatsoever— the piano, uh, your, your work-at-home uh, circumstances, uh, y- your, your kitchen appliances, your chores, anything. And you look at it uh, from a distance. It's, it's all absurd. It's all ridiculous. Who invented this stuff? Why are we doing it? Uh, and you can either fall off that cliff in- into into the sort of catastrophe of, of existentialism, or you can just kind of get over it and say, all right, this is it. This is the thing that I'm dealing with. Um, what next? What else can I can I imagine? So, you know, concretely, uh, one of the things that we've done in our, in our house, for example, is just completely reconfigured our, our our schedules. You know, and and like, how do we deal with the fact that we've got, uh, you know, we're my wife and I are both working from home. We've got you know kids in school. We've got older kids who are doing uh, uh classes from home. We've got to get things done, but there's there's actually not enough time. and We don't have uh, the the normal uh, kind of childcare situations that we're in. So the answer isn't to try to do everything, uh, because that's impossible, but to, to cut corners and to reconfigure schedules. So, so, you know, I work in the mornings, and my wife works uh, in the afternoons, largely. And, uh, and we you know, we deal with our young daughter, and uh, my, my older kids have a sort of situation that they're set up in, and we got some equipment to make it, you know, easier for everyone. These are small things, and they are things that demand, you know, in, in our case, sort of the materials situation in which we can make those choices. So, of course, you know, first, you have to be able to address your basic needs. Um, but the thing that we're not doing is sort of spending all our days lamenting uh, that circumstance that we're in. Then once you get past that, you, the, the situation becomes kind of its own uh, delight. I've spent a, a good deal of time over the last nine months uh, trying to set myself up to have, a, you know, kind of a, a interesting, you know, home broadcast uh, arrangement in my in my office and. Um, you know, with on Zoom all the time, and you know, talking to folks like you, and and, and so like you know, the I had no interest in uh, in audio and, and video engineering uh, beforehand. I didn't want to be a podcaster or anything like that. Uh, but I realized, you know, okay, uh, this would be a useful thing to understand and learn. And so I'm going to dig in and learn more about uh, how to do it with the equipment I have and what I can get. And you know, maybe I'll set a budget, add another constraint around that uh, environment. And, and it's made my life. Um, not just uh, a better in terms of my working relationships, but also more interesting. Now that's a thing that I know about that I, that I didn't, uh, beforehand. Uh, and, and, you know, e- even just the, the, like, we don't go very far from home, uh, right now, especially compared to uh, our usual habits. Uh, but that's invited a different kind of relationship with, the uh, with the neighborhood. You know, you go out and you're, you're walking and you see places that, um, that you haven't before, or that you have but have overlooked. Uh, there's a little pocket park here. Oh, the, you know, I haven't walked on this side of the street, and it turns out that this uh, this house uh, is architecturally interesting in a way that I hadn't noticed. Uh, so sometimes they just these these sort of delightful moments they pop up from uh, from the corner of your eye, and you have to just be open uh, to to seeing and, and looking at them and working with them and, and returning to them over and over again. And the more that you do this with the more things in your life, then the more natural it becomes, the more familiar, and and the more you sort of exercise a muscle to find delight in almost anything and thereby to derive pleasure from it.
0: Play isn't about ignoring the bad stuff or pretending that it doesn't exist, but it's really about being more open to what it shows us how it can correct us or guide us simple things. Like now people understand it's important to wash your hands and that perhaps Mm -hmm. that age old tradition in the United States of shaking hands may not actually be the healthiest thing to do. So how could we reimagine how we interact or show respect or deference to people? If you wrote this book, uh, in 2021, or if you were to right. to write an update of the book, what would you include?
1: the uh, w- The most common question I get about about the book is, you know, okay, I, I get it in principle. Like, how do I do this uh, in practice? And, and you know, I, I've I've offered a number of examples in the book from from my experience, from others, from the history of uh, uh, of play and games, also from the history of uh, of expression and ideas uh, uh, more generally. And and so I think those are. You know those those examples would remain uh, valid, but now we have this wealth of successes and failures to the cat on the ground, where we saw uh, people and communities uh, both succeeding and failing uh, at allowing their circumstances and the the natural, or at least the 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 the, the, uh, the constraints that should have been applied, right, to uh, to individual life, or even at a policy level, right, to collective life. Uh, we have all of these examples, uh, so you know it could have been the Uh, the backbone of uh, a new kind of argument that advances play that the what the pandemic even though it seems maybe it seems ghastly to compare pandemic life to play uh, but if we use it as a um, as a kind of paradigm for how we could behave all the time or at least how we could think about behaving all the time you know that might be the way that i would approach uh uh, the project today and 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 i think that you know concretely the attention and uh, and clarity and and just curiosity that the pandemic has in invited people to muster toward every aspect of their ordinary lives that that's the thing that I would want to amplify you know suddenly you're thinking about not just whether it's safe to be indoors at the store or at the at the supermarket but what it's like for other people who don't have the choice of entering and leaving the way the way you do what it means to be an essential worker and who is essential and who isn't Uh, the 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 role and plight of 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 teachers um, or of uh, uh, delivery uh, drivers or all of these folks that you know they've been there in the background uh, uh, serving uh, the whole time and often at menial wages uh, far below what they deserve and we didn't think about it they just disappear into the background because they're there for us uh and so you know that's a small thing that it does it's not about you saving anyone or, or even changing your behavior necessarily or changing policy it's rather about taking that first step of of acknowledgement uh and i think it's not accidental you know that we have this overlay of um uh of anti-black racism and 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 reactions to it atop the, the pandemic which have the same structures right the same kind of i i actually didn't care about this beforehand perhaps but now i've started to which is in the heads of, of many americans and okay well what's next what are you going to do uh, about it and um and you know like a policy change is difficult uh, but attitudinal change and uh, and you know treating people and circumstances around you differently like those, those two uh, uh, kind of groundswells of, uh, of activity that we've experienced this year are um, are paradigmatic uh, so I'd probably start from there um, and you know starting from games which is what I did in the book when I wrote it uh, five years ago was useful to get at the idea of, of play and uh, and fun and these these other these other themes the, the challenge remains you know get, getting folks heads around the idea that that play and fun are are not distractions or, or diversions, but they're serious business. Uh, and so, you know, with, uh, with pandemic life, we've had examples of the direct and immediate consequences, and, and, and that, that should be a driver to help us see, you know, what really happens uh, when we choose and accept limitations and, and delight in living within them rather than rejecting them and then going and complaining uh, about the fact that we have even been asked to do so.
0: So as we come to a close and we think about the necessity, perhaps now more than ever, the necessity of play and of that experience, what's bringing you joy?
1: <laughs> One of the things that's so important to me about this this topic, in, in, you mentioned a moment ago, is that... Um, you know, we have the sense that there's, there's sort of the boring stuff and the good stuff, and we're always waiting for the good stuff. But the thing is, it, it's all good stuff, if you look at it the right way. Um, and so for me, and this has been the exercise of living with this project, you know, for for, for years and years now, um, there is almost nothing that can't bring joy. It's rather a question of wh- where is it? How, what do I have to do to find it? You know, um, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with... Um, uh, you know, with like yard work, and with uh, uh, a lot of people are nesting during the time. No, no different. You know, like ar- arranging and orchestrating different different circumstances in the house, and you know, do, doing projects that were uh, that were previously um, uh, left undone. Making stuff that maybe I would have previously gone and, and bought. Not buying things because it's too difficult to get them online, and I don't want to go to the store. All all of these like little tiny things. It's not just about doing them, but like. Like thinking deeply about what it what it means and what I've been missing the whole time, and how there's like a whole universe in, in all of that stuff, you know. Um, so th- that's um, th- that's how I try to approach a day to day life, and it you know it's 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 okay in part because I can work from home, and uh, and my family's okay, and we're and we're safe, and and we have a lot of luxuries, and I I acknowledge that, uh, but that's only made it more inviting to me to see um, all of these little things as, uh, as invitations, you know, the, the, the dish I would have gone out to, to get at the restaurant that now I've learned how to make at home adeptly over the past six months. Those things, th- those are the things that, that, that bring me joy, not rejecting or missing my life as it used to be, but continuing th- that life in a different way. And, and in some ways taking a greater control and greater interest in it than I ever had before.
0: I think we all need the reminder that there is joy in the mundane and there is joy in the simplicity if we're open to it. Ian Bogost is contributing writer at The Atlantic, the Ivan Allen College Distinguished Chair in Media Studies and Professor of Interactive Computing at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Ian, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Disrupted is produced by Daniela Luna and Katie Tularski. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Let's embrace joy together. Thanks for listening.